sharing and teaching the game of basketball. I'm Steve Kramer, player development coach here with Coach Tro, varsity boys coach for Brown City High School. And our special guest today, uh, Coach Ryan Cardock, current college basketball coach. Excited to have uh, him on. He's most recently worked at James Madison University in Harrisburg, Virginia. He's also worked at Bowling Green State University, which is where we met, and at the University of Miami under Naismith Coach of the Year, Jim Laranega. And he played as a walk-on at the University of South Carolina. He and his wife, Loriana, are having a baby on the way. Um, Coach, thanks for being on the podcast, and also congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited. I got my notepad out. I know there's a lot of coaches out there that are going to benefit from hearing what you have, have to say. I'm excited about it. Um, we first met in Bowling Green when you were on staff there, and um, my wife was getting her P PhD at BGSU. And I don't know if you know this, but we played in a men's league against each other, and we played in the championship game. Your team won. And in three years, that was the only game I lost in three years. And you retired <laughs> me because that was my last game. Wow, I didn't realize that. Yes, yeah. And so that hurt. And, and so I was upset. We lost the championship. And I told my wife before, I was like, we got a kid. My schedule's getting too busy now. No matter what happens, this is my last game of, like, weekly trying to play. And um, she's like, good, you know, you've been gone a lot more. My camps were growing a little bit more, so I was, I was going on a lot of weekends. And then you guys went. And I was like, that's not the, you know, the send-off that I had going in my mind. And so I pack up, and I'm heading out pretty quick. And you kind of followed me out uh, the, the door and kind of introduced yourself. We exchanged some of our contact information, and then we've been keeping in touch and getting together ever since. But um, I thought that was kind of cool of you to to do that. I'm very glad you did because I wasn't in the mood to talk to anybody, especially on the other team that that beat me. Um, so that was that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I do remember all of that. It was a cool way to meet you, and uh, I got the best of you that day. But what you failed to mention is we played a lot of times afterwards in some pickup games, and there was plenty of times you got the best of me. We've had a lot of fun playing against each other. No, no doubt about. No doubt about that. So, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward and, and to continue kind of following your, your travels as a college basketball coach. And, you know, let's dig into the podcast. Absolutely. Well, Coach, uh, thanks for being here today. Uh, and first, congratulations on the baby on the way. And also congratulations on that men's league championship. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, first question is culture is kind of a huge buzzword out there right now. and uh, as a coach uh, in the high school ranks, um, I just wonder what ways that college coaches build their culture every day. I heard somebody once say you have to fight for your culture every day, and I think it's something that you do. You have to build every single day. So what ways do the pro yourself and the programs you've been involved in um, uh, try to build culture each day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you said, I mean, culture has been this really big buzzword um, around college basketball in particular, but I think around basketball in general. And when you think about culture, you know, what I think about even before that is identity. And I was actually listening 
um, to Steve Forbes speak. He's at East Tennessee State. He's had a lot of success there. And he talked a lot about identity before culture. And I thought it was a fantastic point. It really made me think a lot about it. And really what he's saying is when a, when a coach or an observer watches your team play, right? So let's say, for example, your team's on TV and you're playing a game. If someone watches that game, could they tell what the identity of your team is? And I think that's so important to, to have, right? Are you letting your players know what you want them to be doing out there, what you want the team to look like, right? And I think if you look at successful teams, a lot of times they have that identity, right? You look at a Syracuse with Bayheim, who's been playing that two, three zone for 40 years. People know exactly what he's doing, right? So I think that it's, it's just really key to have uh, an identity, you know, an identity of a team. If you look at Virginia, um, with the pack line defense, it's their identity. Everyone knows what they're doing, but the players know what they're doing. And so it's so key to be able to, to have that identity. Coach, you talked about identity with, within your culture. Um, you know, one of, my, one of my favorite sayings is, you know, don't talk about it, be about it, right? You gotta, you gotta live it, you gotta be it, you gotta embody what you want your culture to be every single day. What are some of the things that you try to live out around your players to make sure that you're not just talking about it, but you're living it, you're representing what you want that culture to be, truly making it your identity? How? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so obviously, you know, the identity is so important. You have to figure out what you want your team to look like, right? And then regards to the culture, Okay, you have to live that first. So the coaches have to do a great job of being what they want the culture to look like. So they must be acting in the way they want the players to act. They must be teaching those players in the way that they want them to be, right? So I think about the culture of a team, right? It obviously starts with being good people. So you want to teach these young men how they can be good people. You want to teach them how they can be leaders. You want to teach them how they can be disciplined. And, and these other things. And I think it's very important um, in the culture to make sure that you're really focusing on those relationships with your players. You're building trust with them and you're focusing on deep relationships where you're really connecting with your players, right? So when I was at, uh, you know, Miami, Coach Larinaga did an unbelievable job with his culture. And one thing I found interesting was there was a year I was there, he made a guy who I didn't really think should be a leader or a captain, a captain. And I said to him, you know, why, why did you do that? Why did you make that guy a leader? And he said, well, I knew how important he was to the team. I knew he had an influence on the other guys, right? So his influence on the other guys was so important. I needed to make sure I was spending a lot of time with him, and I needed to make sure I was teaching him how to be a leader. So even though from the outside, it wouldn't look like he has these capabilities of being a leader, it didn't matter to me. I needed to put him there so that he could rub off on the other guys. And it's so important um, that you don't allow in your culture any negative voices. And what I mean by that is if you have a guy maybe who's not playing as much as he would like, well, he could get into that locker room and start to rub off on others, right? Because you think about it, he's got 
a roommate on the road. He's got three other people that he lives with, and he's got two other guys that he goes and works out with at night. So there's seven players that he could affect if he has a bad attitude, right? So it's so important that from the best player on your team to the worst player on your team, and I don't mean that disrespectfully as far as worst player. I'm just saying guy maybe who's not as talented and who you don't think of talking to as much because he doesn't really play, you have to make sure you build that trust and build that relationship with him. And I'll give you an interesting uh, story that I've kind of been a part of. So I was at Bowling Green for four years, right? And when I went there, we started the program with Coach Huber. It was his first year there. And in our first season, we were really trying to build that culture up, right? And what I've noticed about culture is it usually takes two to three years. Identity, you can get it done in six months because it's much more simple. You tell them, Here, here's what we're doing, this is how we do it. But culture, you gotta bring in your guys, it's gotta be taught, there's gotta be bad uh, habits that have been worked out of guys, right? So when I was at Bowling Green, our first year, we came into a situation where we had some guys that had played, this was their third coach in three years. And so it was difficult for them to trust and to build a relationship with the coaching staff. And so it took a little bit of time. We had to keep doing some certain things to try and teach them our ways, right? So year one, it was okay. We went to the, the semifinals in the MAC, champion, in the, uh, MAC tournament, um, and our season was okay. We felt like we were off to a decent start after the season. Year two, we brought in our guys. It was all pretty much freshmen that we had. Uh, didn't have a great season, but we felt like we were moving in the right direction as far as culture. Year three, okay, we're feeling good. We got our guys in, you know, they're sophomores, they're juniors now, and we're ready to take off. We're 16 and 10, okay, and we lose a bunch in a row at the end of the season, and we lose in the first round of the MAC tournament. So we say to ourselves, what did we do wrong? We did an evaluation as a coaching staff after the year, right? And we said, man, we're really building this culture up well. I think we're doing a really good job. But for whatever reason, I think we lost a little bit of relationship and trust with the players at the end of the year. And, I, and we all kind of came to the conclusion that that's why we struggled at the end of the season. So Coach Huger, being the bright mind that he is, he said, okay, well, I, it's going to start with me. I'm going to continue to build better relationships with this, these guys. So he set out a plan. And he said, I'm going to call each guy once a week, and I'm going to talk to them about basketball, but I'm also going to talk to them about personal things. We're going to set up a leader de leadership development kind of thing. We're going to bring in a life coach, and we're going to set up a development calendar where essentially what we do is we're going to create a calendar for 12 months, and we're going to have four or five things each month that involves the team. So one of them may just be bowling. One of them may be wiffle ball. May, one of them may be, you know, social media training. And all these different things that we have, we're going to build the team uh, stronger together. And so obviously that was a huge part of our success. In year four, we, went, we won 22 games. We went to the finals in the MAC championship. We lost to Buffalo, who was really good. We beat them during the regular season when they were ranked number 15. And it was a really good year. And then this past season, they won 20 games again. They finished second in the MAC, and they obviously, due to the coronavirus, weren't able to, to play. But that was the first time they won 20 games consecutively since 1949. So that's just kind of a, 
uh, an idea of how you can continue to build a culture, right? And understand that it does take some time to do it. It takes time. And, and what I'm hearing you say in all these different ways is how the importance of communication is, is key. You know, you're talking about the phone calls, right? The, the life coach, the ways that you're able to stay in contact with guys 12 months out of the year, not just in season. That's, that's a great point to have for all of us as coaches that we need to, we need to try to embody. I guess one additional would be, you know, the relationships. He meant, you mentioned the, the team activities and uh, calling conversations on the phone. Was there anything that you as an assistant or any other coaches or himself did to build those relationships? Um, you know, I, I really took um, interest in the leadership development part. So I would, you know, oftentimes meet with guys and speak to them about leadership. And the, there's a gentleman named Michael Brown, who's the life coach for the Bowling Green men's basketball team. He's a really smart guy. Him and I are, are good friends. And I've taken a lot of his material. He's almost mentored me in some ways to teach our players about leadership. And I've taken it with me to James Madison as well. And, and he, you know, uses all these acronyms, right? And he, and he describes, you know, creating real men. And so he, he describes the R as rejecting passivity and irresponsibility. The E is exhibiting honesty and integrity. The A is appreciating connectedness and transparency. And the L is leading heroically and intentionally. So I would use a lot of things like that to try and connect with our guys and just give them small snippets of information like that so they keep thinking and developing their mind as leaders. That's awesome. I can't, I can't take notes fast enough. I know I'm going to re-listen to this podcast probably a couple, couple times. This is great, great stuff. We have this dynamic where it's so much about building relationships and culture. At the end of the day, the administration's like you got to win games right and scouting is a huge part of being prepared for other teams can you talk a little bit about how you go about scouting yes absolutely so i think there's honestly two ways to do scouting in my opinion right and the first way is to obviously know the opponent like the back of your hand so arkansas is a good example of that and I'm only looking at the outside in, but from everything I hear, they just go into such full detail in every aspect of their opponent. So if their opponent runs 22 plays, that coaching staff's gonna know all, 222, all 22 plays like the back of their hand, right? Their baseline out of bounds, their sideline out of bounds, their end of game with six seconds left. You know, what they do um, as far as offensive rebounding on free throws, every last detail, they're gonna know, right? And I think that's obviously one approach. The other approach is to look at it from a perspective of saying, we're gonna stick to our principles. And maybe in the beginning of the year, you put in all your principles, right? So on a horns action, this is how you guard it. A down screen, this is how you guard. We're gonna guard ball screens with a hedge and we're gonna do this or do that. And so I think obviously there's two ways to do it and you can go with either one of them. I like being more detailed to be honest with you, but you have to have a head coach that's fully committed to it. So if your head coach is not fully committed, if he wants to spend more time maybe on offense or on other things, then I would encourage a team to basically do the scout with just principle-based. 
But if you have the time, you know, then I would encourage a team to go into great detail, let's say maybe like in Arkansas, where you know every last detail of what they're going to run. Um, so I think obviously those two ways are, you know, preference and what you want to spend your time on. It can be a little bit harder scouting-wise if you're in a postseason tournament where you got to play three games in three days or you're in an MTE where you got to play two or three games in three or four days. Um, so it really goes on preference. I like being ultra deep because I think it's, you know, something that you can control um, and you just have to put the, the work in and obviously – you know, the time and effort is, is, is not easy and you got to have all hands on deck to do it. Talking about scouting, you know, you said that a team might have 22 plays and the coaches know them, but I think the important thing is the players know them and know how you're going to defend them. So what have you found that's the best way to transfer that to the players? Is it through film? Is it through paper? Is it through walkthroughs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's an excellent question and, and really a key, key point, obviously, because you're only going to be as good as what the players know, right? So the staff can know as much as they want, but it, what the players know is what's going to translate. So I think that you try to take a certain amount of plays, and it's whatever the coach is comfortable with. I usually like six, six plays to walk through, and then you can show maybe eight or nine on film, right? So if you look at a team's six plays for the most part, it's probably going to be 50 or 60% of their offense. You know, then once you get to about nine plays, it's probably going to be about 75% of their offense. And then they have some other wrinkles that they throw in there. So I really like to go with about six, um, walk through those on the court, really drill them um, and go through them so that, that the players know exactly what they are. When they see them in the game, we can call them from the bench. And then they know, okay, this is a B1 action. You know, this is a horns action. And, and then the other couple plays – Maybe not everyone remembers those, but maybe you got a couple smart guys on your team, point guard or whoever it may be, that can kind of relay the message to the rest of the guys of what's coming. Coach, we have a lot of um, high school coaches that will be listening to this podcast. Obviously, as a college coach, recruiting it is a huge part of your job. Um, as a high school coach who has a potential college player on their team, what are some of the things that you are looking for in that player? So as far as when you're, when you're looking at recruiting a potential player, um, you know, I think it's, it's really key to just kind of evaluate who they are as a person first, right? So do they have good morals and values? Are they disciplined? And it starts with kind of talking to everyone that, uh, knows them, right? So you talk to their parents, you talk to their coaches, and you really do your, your digging to find out like who this, who this young man or young woman is. And so I think that's where it starts, right? And then you obviously want to find out their work ethic and their ability to be coached. Um, so there's obviously a lot of things that go into it, but you want to find out what their core is, you know? Some of the things about them you probably won't be able to understand until they actually get there and you're coaching them. But if you understand what the, the core values of that person is, then I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, it reminded me of um, a Rick Majerus book. Uh, it's called My Life on a Napkin. And he, when he would recruit players, he'd go into the, their school and he'd ask random, random people. It could be a student. It could be a counselor. It could be 
you know, a lunch aid, you know, tell me about this player as a person. And that's how, you know, that's how you would get a lot of feedback on players because, you know, obviously when the players in front of you, they're going to, you know, they're going to try to impress, but how are they around others? And um, that was just one way. So I think that's, that's probably a great point as far as a starting point for recruiting a player. Mm -hmm. um, on that, do you look to fill, um, when you're recruiting, do you look to fill like a, a role, like we need a shooter, so we're going to go grab this guy? Or do you look for like the entire package and then go from there? I think it depends. So sometimes you are going to look for a particular position. Let's say maybe you have a really good point guard who can create for others and you need a guy on the wing who's a capable shooter. Then maybe you'll look for a guy who can really shoot. Um, in general, I like to have three level scores. Now that's really hard to find, but if you have a guy that can dribble pass and shoot, you know, and play from three point. And when I say three level, I mean, he can score at the rim. He has a mid range game and he can shoot the three, you know, obviously it just makes your team much more effective. If you look at some of the teams that have been really good offensively, like the Villanovas of the world, all those guys can do that. And so when you can, when you can find players, and like I said, it's not easy to do to find a high character guy with good morals and values who can score at all three levels. They're rare, but there are situations where you may look to fill a role, you know, may look to, to fill a three-point shooter or a guy who can block shots or maybe, you know, a guy who, who can score in the block. But, um, you know, ideally you, you get someone who can do a little bit of everything, but situationally you find someone who, who does one thing in particularly well. So you got to fit based on the personnel that you already have. Right. Right. That has to do with what you're looking for. And then you also mentioned something, you talked about three-level scoring. So I'm going to throw this question at you. So much with today's analytics are rim and three, right? But you mentioned being able to, the ability for a player to be able to, to score in the mid-range and how important that is. Can you just take a minute and talk about how that mid-range game, even if the players aren't taking the majority of their shots there, how important that is? Yeah, so for me, having observed the mid-major level where I've been at for the past five years, I do think a little differently than maybe some of these people who don't like the mid-range. I think you have to use it for what it is. And what I mean by that is I don't want our guys shooting 40% of their shots from the mid-range. But because, you know, they're going to take away the three, and a lot of times they don't want you to get layups, when the opportunity presents itself, I think you shoot the mid-range shots. You shoot open shots from mid-range when you can get to a spot that are not highly contested. If you're shooting fadeaway mid-range shots, they're probably going to be a very low percentage, right? But there are certain times where you catch a closeout and you go one or two dribbles and you're open from mid-range is probably a high percentage shot for you. So I think that it's just situational, but I don't love them, but you have to just use them to your advantage. Right. You know what I mean? It's just kind of finding that balance. I like it. And, and to go along with, with that, you, you watch enough basketball, especially at the NBA and the college level, you're playing with the shot clock. And so mm -hmm. if there's five seconds left on the clock and there's a hard closeout on the three and they're clogging the paint, you're going to have to be able to make the mid-range shot because that's the right shot given the situation. Right. 
What, uh, you know, you talked about some of the intangibles, you know, coach Tro asked you a little bit about some of the skill sets and how you recruit. I know there's a coach listening who has a player that's talented and has the ability to play at a high level, but they don't have good grades. Can you just touch on that before we switch gears of the importance academically for high school athletes? Yeah, it's so important. I mean, you see so many good players not able to play college basketball because of the academics. And, and you really got to try and start them early. You know, when they get into ninth grade, you know, if you can get your hands on them and encourage them to do well in school and, you know, have study hall with them or whatever it may be, just so they're thinking about academic constantly, it, it's huge. You know, it, it's sad to see such talented players, you know, flunk out or not be able to play college basketball because of that. So I think it's, it's just, you know, you got to stay on these young kids and, and high school coaches can really help with that. You know, get them to take their SAT and ACT early, get them to study for those tests, be educated on what they need in order to get into college. One more question in regards of recruiting for the high school coaches that are out there listening is what do you feel high school coaches need to do a better job of in order to prepare players to play at the college level? Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, a lot of the things that we see when freshmen come in, right, are things that are sometimes a little bit uncontrollable, but I'll give you kind of a breakdown of, of maybe a couple things. And number one is probably the physicality. So when they come in, right, and now granted they're playing against 21 and 22-year-olds. So they're playing against juniors and seniors and they're 18. But I think that what you see is oftentimes maybe they struggle rebounding because of the physicality. Maybe they struggle defending a little bit. Um, so that, that's huge. I think the more that these high school coaches can kind of focus on the weight room and putting some size on these guys, it will really help them when they come into college. And now obviously the college strength coaches are experienced. They've been doing it for a long time. There's a lot of really good ones out there. So it's maybe a little bit harder for a high schooler to get big and strong. But if he can have a good base on them, I think it can be very helpful for him being able to play right away. Because a lot of times if you can't play defense because of your physicality, then you're probably not gonna be able to play very much. So I would say that that's number one. The second part of it is um, just basketball IQ in general. And this is another thing where it does take time. You think about a senior who's been in the system for three and a half years, and he's been able to see, okay, this is how I attack an ice. This is how I attack, you know, a, a hedge. This is how I attack when they're clogging. And high school players just don't have the experience of that, of the size of the players in college, and maybe even just uh, – some of those, you know, techniques or, you know, defenses, whatever it may be. So I think that you see sometimes in high school where a, a player has only played a 2-3 zone. So when they come into college, it's very difficult for them because now they're trying to learn how to hedge in a ball screen and be the tag man, how to bump, how to be in the gaps, how to whatever it may be. And it becomes a little bit hard for them because here's what happens and, and here's what gives them a disadvantage. A senior or a junior who's been in it, who understands it, just goes out, some, goes out there and he plays. He doesn't have to think about it. His mind is not you know, thinking while he's out there. But that freshman who's coming in, 
who doesn't have those concepts, that, who doesn't have that understanding, he's thinking the whole time he's playing. And we all know as players, when you're thinking, it's tough. Because you're thinking you're half a step slow, you're not instinctual, and then it, it just slows you down and doesn't make you as good of a player. So I think the physicality piece and then also just helping educate them, watching film with them, helping them understand what these certain concepts are, whether it be offensive, defense, or offensively or defensively, it's going to give them an advantage when they get to college. So Good stuff. incoming freshmen, as you mentioned, there's certain things we can't do physicality-wise, the development. As you mentioned, sometimes it just takes, it takes time and their body also may not be ready to play against that 22-year-old. But as you mentioned, if we can still get them watching game film, studying the game, um, trying to learn different variations in preparation for what that school that they're going to play for, to play for is, can be extremely beneficial. Can you talk, you walked on, you played Division One basketball. All right, so can you give a little firsthand experience of how you went about adjusting to playing basketball at that level as a young person yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I played at a junior college first, and I think that was very helpful for me because it's not quite as at the level at, at Division One basketball is. And when I went there, I, I thought to myself, okay, this is fast-paced basketball they're up and down and junior college a lot of times is very high scoring high tempo and so I got used to that and, and it took me you know maybe 10 games to kind of get used to that and I realized all right I got to get better defensively so I really started working on my defense and trying to get better at that when I went to USF um, as a junior as a walk-on it was it was hard for me at first because not only was that a huge step up being in the Big East, I remember the first game I played against UConn, and I got, went out on the court and I see Hashim Thabit out there, and I literally dribbled from the three-point line to the free-throw line about to shoot a pull-up, and he's under the rim, and I'm wondering if I can get the shot off. <laughs> you know, so it, it, was, uh, it, it, was, it was difficult in that sense. But I think as far as transitioning, for me, my mind – um, wasn't fully understanding all the concepts and maybe the size and strength of those players. So it took me a while to adjust. You know, obviously as a walk-on, you typically don't play much, and I didn't. But I did play about 10 minutes a game. And, you know, obviously I had a little bit of experience playing. So for me, it was I wish I would have prepared physically a little bit more, kind of like I'm saying with the physicality. I was a little bit slow-footed. I would have liked to see myself be better on defense, maybe a little bit stronger, because sometimes that's maybe why I didn't play um, right away. And then obviously, as far as my mind goes, I wish I would have knew some of those concepts beforehand instead of having them learn them as I went. And if someone would have taught me or if I would have been able to teach myself some of those things, I would have been better off. So I would kind of give the same advice to someone, you know, coming into college or going into college, even whether you're in ninth grade or 10th grade, whatever you are, you know, in high school or middle school, educate yourself, educate yourself with film, um, understand the big picture of things and it will help you for your future. As a, as a potential college athlete, you know, the, the requirements play basketball defensively at a high level at the college level is going to be so much 
so much more is expected of you than what you were playing at the high school level. And how do you go about your preparation for that freshman year of playing defense at that level? Because, you know, defense, as we all know, is a little bit different than offense, right? Mm -hmm. I can go in and get a thousand shots up every single day. I can do certain things offensively to work on my skills. Uh, defensively has so much more to do with what I would say randomized type training, but because the offense player has the ball or they're cutting and you have to make decisions based on, you know, the other five players that are on offense out on the court. What are some of the strategies that you would recommend a young player implementing to improve their defense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the first thing you would want to do as a young player is grab a good coach. Grab a good coach that you know and have him help you. Because if you're a high school player, let's say in 11th or 12th grade, you probably just don't have the knowledge of what it really takes to be a good defender. You probably think you are a good defender or a solid defender, and you need someone to teach you and to help you. So use mentors. You know, use guys like, like the two of you right who could really help them out and explain to them okay this is how you slide your feet right this is how you got to pressure into someone that's not a good enough closeout you're you're three feet away from them a guy at the college level is going to shoot that a guy at the high school level may not right you're in a ball screen guarding well you can kind of maybe lackadaisically get over the ball screen and be good enough to get back just because you're a little bit you know more athletic or a better player than the guy with the ball but in college, that's not going to work. So really help, asking someone to help you and then having them help you with those concepts of footwork, uh, maybe, you know, using jump rope. You know, I know, Coach Kramer, you like jump rope a lot, and that really helped you. I think it's Love great. It. Love it's it. Great. So jump rope, you know, defensive slides. I had a guy that was a good friend of mine in high school, and he played Division One basketball we would work out at the gym and he would defensive slide home every day, a mile and a half, a mile and a half every day. He would defensive slide home. That's the definition. You know, if you, you got to keep talking to yourself about defense, you know, keep reminding yourself how important it is just like you would on the offensive end. You know, every day you get excited to go shoot and get your shots up and your ball handling and your finishing. Well, you have to make it a mindset on defense too, that I want to be really good. And so in order to do that, you have to focus on it. Mindset, 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 mindset. I love it. That, that's cool. That's cool. Coach, as we, as we wrap up the podcast, you know, what, what advice would you give another coach who dreams of coaching at the college level? The first thing I would say is be where your feet are, right? So what I mean by that is enjoy what you're doing. It's, it's amazing to be able to coach the game of basketball, and you would never imagine how much as a high school coach you help these young men. Oftentimes you can help these young men more than college coaches, and if they go play professionally, more than them. So the first thing I'll say is appreciate what you're doing. I mean, you're doing an amazing thing for these young men, and continue to go out and do that. Um, you know, I, I think it's all about the journey, right? So maybe right now you're a high school coach. Maybe you're an assistant high school coach. Uh, enjoy that. There's a book that I like called Chop Wood, Carry Water. You may have heard of it by Joshua Metcalf. I think we've all read it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's just basically, look, like it's not going to come overnight. The guy in, in the book, 
carried wood, uh, carried water and chopped wood for a year before he did anything else because he needed to learn his craft. So maybe there's a reason, you know, that you're here in this position because you need to learn at that level first, right? And then you can go on to be a college coach. And to answer your question, as far as, you know, encouraging someone of what to do as far as being a college coach, first, be great where you are. Really do a great job in your program. Uh, treat those kids with the utmost respect. Teach them about leadership. Teach them about the game of basketball. Teach them about life and do a great job there and try your absolute best and work as hard as you possibly can where you're at, right? And then educate yourself on the college game. So where do you want to be? Do you want to coach at the Division One level? Do you want to do JUCO, D2, D3? They're all great levels, right? So educate yourself on what is maybe different about the high school game compared to the college game. So, you know, if you look at the Division One level, obviously the defense is much more complex, right? It's, it's, there's more physicality. There's more strength. There's a lot of three-point shooting now. So what, what could you bring to a college coach? What, what would you set, your, set apart yourself from compared to someone else? And so that would be my next thing is, is knowing what your niche is. Are you a really good recruiter? Can you get players? Because that's an important thing. Right. We haven't touched on that much today, but recruiting is very important as a coach. And, you know, if not, are you an offensive guru? Can you can you put in an offense at, at the college level or can you put in a defense and be very successful doing that? So I would say find your niche and then lastly, network with everyone, because at the end of the day, to get a college job, you're going to have to know someone. You're going to have to have someone trust you. So go to practices around where you're at. Find a, a four-hour radius and say, okay, like I, I have 12 colleges that are within four hours from where I'm at. I'm going to talk to each coach from there, and I'm going to go to their practice, and I'm going to observe, and I'm going to find out what I like and maybe what I don't like so much. And then, okay, wow, I really like that assistant coach at University X. So I'm going to reach out to him and talk to him about what his path was to get into college basketball. and how he developed some of the techniques that he has. And so the networking piece is really huge. And it's not just a network to try and get a job. It's that's what we do anyway. That's what we love, right? Learning about basketball, talking about basketball with other coaches and brainstorming ideas so that you can help your high school, you know, at that moment and then work to be a college coach. So that would be my advice is for someone who, who's looking in to get, uh, who's looking to get into college coaching. It's really, really good stuff. Um, you know, as far as being where your where your feet are and just doing the best in, in your position. Um, all great advice for coaches that want to move up the ladder. So thanks for sharing. Absolutely. Coach, thanks for joining our podcast. Uh, best of luck moving forward. We look forward to continuing to to follow your coaching career. And uh for our coaches listening, hey, we want to hear your feedback. Uh what what are your thoughts? Do you have questions, comments, any other topics? that you would like us to cover and we look forward to getting that back to you thanks again and have a great day